Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Heather Horton's work focuses on internal states, contemplative narratives, and often has a personal connection to her own life. She was born and raised in Burlington, Ontario. Heather attended McMaster University, where she received a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature. She then went on to graduate from the well-respected Interpretive Illustration Program at Sheridan College. Heather's work can be found in private and corporate collections worldwide. A selection of her paintings is now a part of the permanent collection at the Canadian Embassy in Ankara, Turkey, as well as part of the Government of Ontario's permanent collection. Several of Heather's paintings can be seen in the Lionsgate film, A Simple Favor, starring Billy Lively, Anna Kendrick, and directed by Paul Feig. Also, Heather has been profiled by Bravo Canada series, The Artist's Life. Also, several of her paintings are headed to the moon as part of the Lunar Codex project, which will have several of her works in digital form as part of the payload of three different missions landing in three locations on the lunar surface. Heather has studios in both Los Angeles and London, England, where she and her husband live. And please help me welcome Heather Horton to the podcast. Good afternoon, Heather. How are you? Very well, Lisa. Thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Thank you. I'm so excited that we're able to finally connect. It's been a little bit of a journey to get here, but this is exciting. I love your work. I have to tell you, you have an amazing ability to capture light and personality and fabrics. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to talk to you about your process. I thought we could start with you telling me a little bit about how you got into painting the way you have been painting in the last little while. Absolutely. Well, I started drawing passionately as a kid at about 11. And then I just used pencil pretty much all the way up. I didn't really get into painting until really late high school. And then I went to Sheridan for Art Fundamentals and then illustration. So painting really kind of came in the latter years, right? Like more recently. And so I was just moved by painters like Tamara de Lempica mm-hmm. and Lucian Freud, Jenny Saville, Frida to a degree because of the emotionality of her work. Some of it's like not really my jam, but overall it's amazing and inspiring. Were you always drawn to the figure or was that something that just sort of evolved over time? Good question. I started drawing like of course cats and horses as one would do but then I realized that portraiture and figurative work was very challenging and I liked the challenge I liked that if you made a mistake it would be noticeable right away whereas you have more latitude with certain other subject matters people can't really see if you've goofed as much so I enjoyed the fact that 
it either works or it doesn't work, a portrait. And so that's what really drew me to it. And I've just been working on the figure, still lifes too, you know, but figurative for the most part is the majority of it. So you have an interesting story when we were initially talking, you were telling me a little bit about your own personal journey and how that played a part in your earlier works. Would you be open to sharing that story and how that was actually coming through your painting? So many years ago, I, when I was painting full-time, I had a full-time nine-to-five day job while painting at night. And so I was kind of doing two jobs. And during that time, my mom had a stroke in 2005 and I fell into a very deep depression and I started over-exercising and under-eating. And so with that kind of math, I started to lose weight. I didn't intend to, but I just kind of got, it made me feel safe and secure in that control, right? Because it was the fear of losing her, her being so unwell. And I didn't want to, it was all fear-based, right? So to have some modicum of control, I would control what I ate and what I did, what I didn't do. And so in that time, I got very unwell. I had osteoporosis diagnosed at 31 and all because of her being unwell. We were so close and still are. But at the same time, in that month that she became so unwell and had that stroke, I think I painted one of the best paintings I've ever done to prove to myself that nothing would stop me from working and painting. It was a bit of a test. And I now look back at it as one of my favorites I've ever done. I did recover from the eating disorder, and but it took a while and I couldn't really talk about it for a while because there was a lot of anger within me and self-hatred and all these things. So it, it needed, I needed to really get healthy, which took a few years all while painting. And so with that, with my eyes set to get better, I did, but then I wasn't really able to talk about it for at least a couple of years. And then I started talking about it at art organizations, believe it or not, and colleges and things like that. So I've actually spoken about it as something that I just want to help people with if possible. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel your painting helped you through that time? That's a really good question. I mean, it became such a way, such a catharsis. So my painting subjects kind of fall into two general like categories, more like fantasy, like surreal water paintings a little bit, and then more autobiographical. And so what it did was it gave me the chance to really continue painting, but also be painting my life, not to wallow in it, but just to be a way to process it. Like it really was art therapy. You know what I mean? And so I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that, that I had the ability to do it. I remember I was so unwell that I would just sit and I would paint and I would, the television would be on and there'd be commercials about osteoporosis. And I remember just being so anxious and painting, painting, painting through it all. So being motivated and determined is key. You had mentioned your water paintings. I was going Mm. to ask you about those because I was looking at a couple of them and there Mm. was one that really struck me. I hope I get the title right, is Chrysalis. Yes. And it's this figure in the bathtub and I can't decide if she is cleansing herself or (laughs) it it almost made me feel claustrophobic because she's under the water. (laughs) And I'm like... Like, could you talk about the water scenes and and the figures are often immersed in the water. They're not coming out. They're not not breaching as if you will. Thank you for mentioning that because that's one of my favorite paintings as well. That one took a long time. And that painting, Chrysalis, Mm -hmm. is one that I almost 
at one, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go there for a while, but I just stuck with it. And it has been all over the place, that painting. It took a long time to paint. And that is a painting that came about because of the room. So sometimes the emotion is the impetus. Sometimes it is environment. It is a room. I'm like, this room looks cool. What can I do in this space? So it's actually become a very important emotional painting after the fact. But the initial concept was, I like painting water. I like painting the figure. I'm always handy as a model. And it's, it's, a, it's a special place. That's a special place that has a lot of memory for me. And so painting water is interesting because it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? It's like there and it's not there. It looks like it's there, but you can, it's so translucent and you can just see like hints of it. So again, I love the challenge. I love how skin and bodies, like, you know, when it goes through water, how there's like a jagged, like things are displaced. I love that challenge. So it's kind of a, a mix of abstract a little bit sometimes and realism, which I like a lot. And the immersed figure, like what's, yes. is there a significance to that? Or is again, is that play of the pattern on the body? Thank you for asking that because many years ago I did a painting called What Frida Taught Me and I really enjoyed painting my legs in a tub and that painting was kind of inspired by her painting. Oh, it's called, I believe it's called What the Water Gave Me, which is what Florence and the Machine named a song after that too. Anyway, I digress. But I liked the way that a tub looks. I like the clean look of a tub. I love chrome and so there was an absolute like yen to paint the faucet and the tub. But then I just like how the water just makes my skin look. I like how it changes. You know, I like how it's subtle. I like the translucency, but also just what happens to it. So the first painting inspired the more recent one. What Frida taught me inspired the chrysalis. Okay. Even though they're from different POVs. So mm-hmm. even just uh, you behind you, you have a beautiful painting with... Folds of the fabric. And Thank you so I, much. I can start to see some similarities in you have this interest in pattern, but it's pattern from everyday life. Does that Absolutely. come from like being in your environment or was there something that sparked that interest? I think again, I've got to go back to Lucian Freud who just painted sheets and fabric with such beauty and intensity. That inspired me a lot. I think light and shadow is what everything comes down to, isn't it? And so learning about that in art school and rendering folds in in school, I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. I love that it's so challenging. And so this painting on this side is finished. This one is not finished. You can tell it's still in, in progress, but I love pattern in water, in fabric. Why? I just like the kind of complexity of it. I like getting lost in it. Mm-hmm. Quite literally. It's <laughs> almost meditative, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than uh, like an empty room and a sheet. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways to think that. It's <laughs> there really, you go. really true. <laughs> That's great, though. Yeah. And, and you mentioned too that you've used yourself as a model. Are you often mm-hmm. the model in your work or do you hire models, get friends? Like, where, who are your inspiration? And I mean, because there's such a I want to say there's an intimacy in the way you know your sitter and it's not just a magazine portrait sort of thing. Thank you. Yeah. It's so some of them 
I've done a bunch of crying portraits over the years when I've experienced loss. Those are a very specific group. Obviously, I used myself (laughs) because I was the one that was upset. Those are a specific group of paintings. But generally, it's not, unless there's a meaning behind it as to why I have to be in there, it really could be anyone. But I do enjoy painting myself sometimes. But it could easily be a friend. I have friends who I've asked over the years, friends who have volunteered. And sometimes I just meet someone. I'm like, this might sound weird. Please don't freak out. And I'm not a weirdo, I swear, but I'm a painter. And if you like, it doesn't happen like right away like that. But oftentimes I kind of, I'm interested in people's faces and I'm, you can never predict when you're going to be inspired to paint someone. However, I've done about 650 paintings since I started painting in 2004 or five, wherever I considered that really to start beginning in earnest. And I would say that of the paintings of the figure, I would say about 30% are me, mm-hmm. maybe more, maybe 40. Wow. But then my, my friend, Laura, I painted many times, many years ago, Danielle, I've painted probably more than almost anyone. My best friend, Will, I've painted and people come and go, right? Like mm-hmm. in your paintings, like in life you know, and some are around for a long time. And then some are kind of, there's a chapter and I'm just excited for what comes next. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of an interesting way to document your world as well. I never thought about that, but like you're through your paintings, your document Mm -hmm. is coming in and out of your, your world. It's true. And I agree with you. The documentary aspect is actually a retrospective, isn't it, in a way? So in other words, at the time when I paint something, I'm like, this is a cool space. I want to paint this person. And so it's immediate and present. But in looking back on it, it has a wonderful quality of, oh, yeah, that was that was there. And that was during that time, Mm -hmm. which is lovely, because you never know what's going to happen, right? You never know. Does anybody ever ask you what the stories are behind your work or like is yes. big yes. people want you to tell stories? Well, let's put it this way. When, when people want to buy paintings, it's very rare that, they're, that they say, no, I don't want to know. I, I like giving context if they want to receive that. You know, I don't want to foist that, but oftentimes people are like, oh, I'd love to know that, or there's some personal connection from them, what I'm painting or where it was painted. Yes, at art openings. Absolutely. I usually do a talk where I talk about the the paintings and the group and the work. And then I can answer questions that people have too. But I loved, I love talking about that. I'm, if I can get through the eating disorder, which I was, it was such a hard time and I couldn't talk about that. I pretty much could talk about whatever now, you know, which is lovely and freeing. So do you have a, a series or a painting that you just absolutely love? It's close to your heart as the artist. Yes, but there's there's a certain few that are just so dear to me. And when they go to a forever home, it makes my heart happy when I know where they go. I don't always, often I don't know at all. And so when I do know, it's really lovely. For example, there's a painting of my cat who passed away within the last couple of years. And I did a painting of him and I cherish that one so much. And I know who has it. And that makes me happy knowing that it's well-loved. The one that you spoke of, the chrysalis, that's a very important one as well. The one that I spoke of February 2005, I'm on the stool, the one with my mom had the stroke. That's also very important. Yeah, there's more, I'm sure. But there are so many, I would have to probably look at a, I'd have to look at my social media and be like, just skim through and then let you know. But sure, there are some that I'm incredibly attached to. And so even though the physical painting is most of the time not with me anymore, I still have my high res image, my archive. 
I'll definitely link your Instagram in the show Thanks. notes. Anybody who wants Thanks. to see some of the pieces that Thank we're talking you. about can, can take Thank a look. You. you also have a piece that's going to be taking an interesting journey in the next <laughs> little while. Can you explain this to everybody? I was fascinated. Of course. In fact, the painting Sasha, which we just spoke of, is one of the paintings going on this journey to the moon. So Samuel Peralta and his wife, longtime collectors and friends, he is working on the payload. He's payload coordinator for these missions to the moon. NASA allocates a percentage of payload to individuals or, you know, they let other people buy a portion of that. So via nanotechnology, I believe, 12 of my paintings, I think, in total are going to go up encrypted, very, very, very small, into these three lunar capsules. It's called lunarcodex.com. So lunar, L-U-N-A-R-C-O-D-E-X.com. And so my work's going to be on each of three different missions. The third craft that lands actually has a rover on it too. So that's pretty exciting. The launches and landings are going to be broadcast live. So I'll be posting about that when that, and of course the launch dates and such, you know, it's space. So it's unpredictable and changeable. So it's, I think, scheduled the first one for June, I believe. I will definitely post about it. I know. And so to think that my, my, my work in that form is going to go up there and my cat who I miss every day, who I just adored, will be up there for a long were you time. Surprised when they approached you, you were like, "It's where and how?" And <laughs> well, admittedly, when when Sam wrote to me, I I was kind of I don't know what I was doing. I was distracted and busy, and I was like, "That seems cool." Da da da, and like back to work. And then he posted something else about the website and and more information. I, and I was like, "Half a mo." <laughs> my paintings are going to the moon what's even happening and so then I really started reading about it and then we were interviewed by CBC radio about it and I think there'll be a couple other ones as well hopefully closer to the launch and well, now here that's exciting I'll definitely <laughs> pay attention when you're starting to post about that and thank you oh yeah I will be posting as soon as I get word you're also working towards two exhibitions right now, which is exciting. Well, are they similar or do you have a body of work for each one? And what are you working on? Thanks. It's I would call it even an exhibition and a half because one is a group show and one will be a solo show. So the group show happens in November or sorry, October in Newfoundland at the James Baird, B-A-I-R-D gallery, just outside of St. John's where I've never been. And I'm excited to go. So the gallery asked me if I would have a couple of pieces in this show, simply titled Woman, Figurative Art About Women. And I'm like, totally. (laughs) And so so I've committed to to two paintings for that show, which I'll send there where I go to the opening on October 22nd. I'm going to go up to Newfoundland. Oh, that'll be amazing. Right? It's so cool. And so that will be a group show of a whole bunch of artists and mm-hmm. so I'll have a couple of pieces in that this one behind me here is one of the two which is going to go when when she's finished and uh, the other one I'm not sure what it's going to be yet but that's kind of cool the second show is next year date and time exact date and time to be announced California most likely Southern California and it'll be a mix of paintings that are available and some are in a private collection already. So I would say 
70% will be available. And I'm even promising myself that I'm not going to post about half of them online. In other words, you have to go to the opening to see them, which I've never been able to have that kind of willpower before. But my husband suggested, like, why don't you hold some back just so that it'll, you know, get people like darkening the door. I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. I wonder if I can actually hold off doing that. And so far, so good. So I'm aiming for 25 to 30 paintings now. Some of those will be, and they're of all sizes from four by four down to like, you know, or up to five, six feet. So it'll be a whole mix of different things, water paintings, still lifes, you know, portraiture, all sorts. Mm -hmm. And that's next year. Probably I'd rather it be, you know, spring of 2023. Again, I'll post updates online on when I secure more of a commitment myself as to when that'll be that sounds exciting though very exciting thanks and off I get that it's so hard because when you create something and you're proud of it you want to share it with the world absolutely so the remedy I find is uh, is just resting in the excitement of that potential Mm -hmm. uh, like happening do you know what I mean so just thinking about that moment when people will arrive and see paintings that haven't been seen. So unless a friend or someone comes into my studio and might see them, they're not going to be seen by anybody, which is really exciting. So I'm curious about your process while you prepare for something mm-hmm. like that. Are, yes. I know artists have different rituals and processes. What's yes. what is your process well, as a creative person with mm-hmm. and studio time and how do you commit to that? My process hasn't really changed that much over the years. I simply paint kind of what's happening in my life and what I'm interested in. Now, many artists, right? They, they're like, this is what this show is going to be about. And that's totally cool. But for me, I paint things that I want to paint slash what's happening in my life Mm -hmm. because life is happening no matter what I'm painting. And then it actually, usually my shows they have an autobiographical component, but it's not, I don't restrict myself. In other words, I kind of paint what I'd like. I might make small, like sub commitments, like this many water paintings or this many figurative pieces. But then I just have a document, a word document. I keep track of every painting that I've ever done. Each each painting on its back it has my signature, the title, and an inventory number. So that just looking at that number, I can see what year I created it and what number it was in that year. So, and That's then incredible. I go. <laughs> well, I know many artists. Can I, hate can I borrow you to help organize my studio for a while? It's <laughs> amazing. Thanks. I mean, I, I, it's just a simple word document and it's just like kind of crazy and it's just like, oh my word. But I do enjoy the marketing part and like promotion a little bit and I'm not an organized person but it's a bit of a slipshod and yet I'm like I want to know how many paintings have I done and so yeah I've been keeping track and I think I'm at about yeah I think I'm at about six 650 or something like that would, yeah I and have to go back and start tracing <laughs> them all and <laughs> see that's the thing There's yeah no some, <laughs> some artists ha- they they go back and keep reworking I know some artists like that yeah. and I just think I'd go mad like I would just lose it because then in fact sort of some question I don't mean to change subject but okay. um, a little rule that I have for myself when it comes to finishing paintings is when I think it's done I work two to six more hours on it because over the years, the odd time, not many, thank goodness, I finished a painting and I was like, and done. And then I go away and then I come back. I'm like, that's actually not done. And so, and I'm like, 
and I, that really bothered me. I want to know that when I set it down and put it in my Word document, <laughs> that it's done. And all it has to do is wait to be varnished, you know? And so that's my own personal process in that regard. This um, is why I ask artists about the process. <laughs> it's, like, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 So for, not to do that, like say, yeah. I'm, and then give myself another two hours. That's what I do personally, because I found out the hard way that if I don't do that, it will frustrate me a lot more than two to six hours later if I don't just commit that time. So that's just been working. So in terms of a show, I keep track of what paintings are going to be intended, like my general number that I want for it. If any have sold prior, like to whom? And I have a list, like I have like a list that I have, I post on the wall of my studio and keep track. That is right? cool. I'm serious. If you're available, I need help. <laughs> this is like, wow. <laughs> Moonlight is your assistant. That's yeah, what I tell you. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, I, no, it's, it's amazing. Like I, a couple of times started out thinking I should have a system and it does, it never occurred to me to do it as I'm working. Like so simple and yet it's, so effective. And once you get into the habit of it, Yes, it's, it really just, it's just a way to keep me calm and yeah. not feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. But actually right now I'm working on, I counted yesterday, five paintings. I don't think I've ever worked on five paintings at once. Usually it's two to three, mm-hmm. but there's five right now, which is kind of crazy, but they all have their purpose and place that they're going to go. And so I'm kind of enjoying it. It also swinging back around to what you were saying about not posting progress of some paintings it helps with that because within those five there's going to be a couple I'm posting updates but then there's a couple that that'll be remain Mm -hmm. three (laughs) so it's a way to shuffle through and satisfy that sort of urge to share without going and and I think when you work as an artist back and forth on a couple of pieces it's an interesting dialogue starts happening between the work itself that you don't intend but it it emerges as you're working I think that's true. And in fact, I remember in art school, you know, I don't know about yourself, but we would just get so close to the work. And my instructor, who was terrific, Catherine McDonald, she would say, every 20 minutes, stand up and step back and and look at it because you get myopic, right? Like you're just like, and you, it freaked me out when I learned, oh no, it's good to actually move around the painting and just work all over the place. And I know that's not the way, there's no right really with art, but I remember being like, that seems strange. I don't understand, but it actually helps cohere paintings for me to do that, to work all over the place, you know, but if you get myopic, stand back and that really helps. And if you have other paintings that you can swap out, be like, today, I'm working on this one because this one's like, just worked on it yesterday. Let's give it a rest. And it actually helps focus. It actually helps you focus. Sometimes I turn them upside down and mm-hmm. I paint them upside down or on their sides, which yeah. is fun too, because then your brain isn't making the associations. It actually, it, it's actually a beneficial practice I've found historically. I've actually done the flip it upside down, walk away, go do something else and then come back. That's a really surreal experience too, because you're like, whoa, I didn't remember it looking like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. It's so true. It's interesting, isn't it? How, and even, I don't know about you, but if I set a painting down and I'll, you know, go about and have my evening, I don't usually paint in the evenings, just in the day. And I'll come back the next day or next time I look at it, I'm like, ooh, I see what needs doing. So a little bit of time, give the paint a little time to dry. It might dry a little lighter or darker, or whatever. And then when you come back in, it's like it actually helps you 
distill what to do, or at least it helps me. Another trick I have is if you take a digital photograph and look at the yeah. digital, sometimes you see yeah. stuff that you don't see right in front of you, which is so weird because you're like right there, but the camera's interesting. stuff that you don't see with your eye. So that's a cool to try. <laughs> and I wonder too, you're yeah. right. And like, cause when you take a photo, I presume you mean the entire composition mm-hmm. maybe. Right. And so yeah. invariably when you look at the screen, you're going to see it as if yeah. you're standing back from it because it's smaller. Yeah. And sometimes like, I, I'm like, Oh my gosh. In fact, I posted a painting today, which there's a little story behind it, but it's on my Instagram and, and Twitter about paintings that I don't finish and how many of those are. And like, I started thinking about that because people are often like, just leave it. It's fine. Don't do any more on that painting. I'm like, I can't, I have to keep working on it till it's done. You know, I, I actually spoke to an artist who did a project. Her podcast is coming out shortly. Mm-hmm. She had people tell her online when to stop, but to, in order to get her to stop, they had to purchase the work she she didn't make them big they were small but she said it was incredible because there were paintings that people said stop and bought that she was like oh I wouldn't stop here get out that is interesting and then other works where nobody said anything so she she would like in her mind she was like it's done but then she had to keep going on it because she keeps painting listens painting (laughs) what there's no, yeah. there's no clicks. What's happening? Yeah, but it was such wow. an interesting exercise. A in social media, and B in you know letting go of whatever constraints you have as an artist. I, I don't know if I, I think it would drive me crazy. That, that would be a lot of control to cede, you know, to someone. I, although I think it's cool because it would be challenging. <laughs> I bet, and I'd love to know if you could share at some point who that was because I'm really keen to go and check this out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. her, name, her name is Michelle Harton, which is very close to your last name. It's H-A. Right. Are you just going down the alphabet, Lisa? Is that what you're doing? Today? I am not. Um, it's coincidental. She's an Irish artist and, and I discovered okay. her through social media. So I'm going to check it. I'm going to check her work out. That's such a cool and challenging parameter to give one. Oh my gosh. Well, mad, it's, mad it's props, like- mad respect control and I don't know if I'm there yet <laughs> but that's good it, it is well I thought as we would wrap up I would do the final five with you which we talked about it's going to be quick five lightning minutes. round yes where you just give me your instinctual answer there's no prep. we haven't rehearsed this editor get your button ready to edit <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> so I've kind of left them open-ended, so we'll see how this goes. So what's the oh, best gosh. advice you've been given as an artist? Oh, gosh. Best <laughs> advice. Advice. Oh, it's not advice, but the thing that comes to mind is the greatest compliment is to have your work stolen off a wall in a show. One of my college instructors had his work stolen off a wall That's good. in an art show. That's not advice. That's more you like just... A, <laughs> but at the same time, so that I thought... That's kind of, that's a cool compliment. But advice, generally, I would say, honestly, paint what you love. My instructor said that to me a long time ago too, Catherine. And that is true. Paint what you love, write what you know, that sort of thing. Anything you're curious about is something that deserves your attention. Absolutely. (laughs) The flip side of that, what's the worst advice you've been given? Or or compliment? (laughs) Um, it's funny you should say that okay 
many people have said that my paintings look like photographs. I'm personally complimented by that quite a bit. That's not my intent. I am a realist painter, but I am not a hyper-realist. But at the same time, I've had a couple of friends say, no, they're separate. They're totally different. And so that's just been an interesting way to think about the work. I personally am complimented if people say they look like photos. I think that's so cool. And yet I can understand why my friends in their protective ways, like, no, it's different. It's its own thing type thing. And so again, I'm not really answering your question, but I'm trying I get it. It goes back to that. What is art and what people yeah. are. Okay. I get that. If you were invited to a dinner party and yes. you could sit beside one artist, past or present, who would you love to be seated next to and why? Are we talking fine artist, painter? Anybody. Okay. I believe artist up to your interpretation. Oh boy. That is a really good question. I mean... I've read some biographies of Lucian Freud, so I don't know if I necessarily would want to sit beside him. <laughs> He's a great artist. It depends on the dinner party. You know who I'd want to sit beside? I'd want to sit beside Werner Herzog. Oh, there you go. And why? He's another documentarian. I mean, every painter is a documentarian to a degree. And Herzog is just, plus his accent and his voice. Oh my gosh, he could read me the phone book if they still existed. <laughs> the way he speaks his enunciation, I'm fascinated. Plus, I love, I love his work. I love that it's just fascinating passion project. These beautiful documentaries and films that he's done and quite surreal and strange. And how did he and Klaus Kinski not kill each other? I don't know. Who really will know, ever know. But I would want to sit beside him. And, and, and I would try. And and those, I would secretly try and emulate his accent. Yeah, get like, those questions answered. <laughs> that's right. The lonely um, penguin goes off into the like. It's like I just love the way he speaks. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. Go on. If you were to be told that you could only leave behind one legacy painting for a hundred years from now for people to remember you by, which work would you choose? This is a hard that's one. A, I don't know what. That's I would a great say. question. Let and me maybe think on that. Describe the painting for anybody who hasn't seen it. I, I hope it doesn't sound vain to say the one that I spoke of. It's called February 2005. The one that I did when my mom had her stroke and that very month she was in ICU. I painted this painting, which I did for myself as much as anything. And it's of myself to show I could do it. It's also visually symbolic as well. I'm on a stool alone, kind of curled into a ball, mm -hmm. which is how I was feeling. You know, and so I would say that that is probably the one that I would want people to think about or think of me the most. And in fact, that painting returned to me 19 years after I painted it and it was in a private collection. The collector consigned it because he was moving and downsizing and my husband bought it back and brought it back to me. I know. That has got to be very surreal. It's pretty wild. It's yeah. very, it's probably one of the most amazing gestures yeah. to ever happen. The painting of it the reason behind it, and then it came back. It went on its yeah. own journey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So it went on a journey, yeah. And then what's one piece of wisdom, advice, or a thought that you would share with an emerging artist as they're starting on their journey? To paint when you don't want to paint, because that's what separates it from being a hobby and mm -hmm. being a vocation. So unless you're unwell or simply can't do good work, be disciplined paint when you're kind of, I don't know, like that's what makes it mm -hmm. what it becomes. 
Show so do it when you don't want to do it, unless you're physically unwell or mentally unwell and cannot do your work justice. Otherwise, get on in there. Be consistent. Have structure. I love mm-hmm. that. That's perfect. <laughs> thank you. So thank you, Lisa. It's been so much fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. This has been so much fun. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.